Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. So we are continuing our series uh, through uh, relationships, and um, today we are talking about money. So, this was, so you come on the right Sunday. It's, it's money time. You missed sexuality. That was a couple weeks ago, but don't worry. It's on the website. You can go back and, and check that out. So, uh, but before we get into that, I just, want to, I just want to use an illustration. So basically, I have two choices. We all have two choices when it comes to food, when it comes to eating, right? We can either eat something healthy, like this apple or maybe a, a salad, something that's green, um, you know, not processed, and we, we have that choice, or we have this other choice. This is a McDonald's uh, breakfast with a, a large Diet Coke, but Joe told me that Diet Coke's actually much worse than regular Coke, so now I don't know, I don't know what to do. And uh, so we all have these basic two... Water. It's crazy. That's crazy talk. <laughs> uh, we have these two choices, right? We can either choose this food that we know, we all know that that is going to nourish our bodies and it's going to keep us healthy, give us the, the energy that, that we need to, to keep going and have a long, happy life, or we can continue to eat Quarter Pounders and, and Big Macs. And Myself, because I'm driving all over the place, I'm super busy, right? And it's like, I gotta get from school back to home, back to work. And all, it's so much easier sometimes. Just, I'm just gonna swing in to McDonald's or Burger King or whatever, grab something quick. It's not that big of a deal, right? But the reality is, as we all know, if we continue to make bad choices with our food, eating, it is going to negatively affect us. Right? It clogs our arteries, it expands our waistline, it, it affects us in uh, a number of ways. You don't have the, the energy, right? you're kind of feeling lethargic. So there's negative consequences. And, but even though I know that I should be eating green, healthy, good food, I just keep getting drawn back into eating this garbage. And the, the reality is that as I continue to make these choices, not only do I feel bad physically, sometimes emotionally, if somebody looks in my car door and sees so many bags of McDonald's things laying around my car, but it also affects other people, right? A lot of times I want to say, that, you know, what I eat isn't, doesn't affect anybody but me. But the reality is that all of our consequences don't just affect us. They affect those around us. And the reason is that we are social creatures. And I believe that we are lying to ourselves if we think that our actions are only or merely affecting ourselves. All right? And we're going to look into this a little bit, but Paul says it like this. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. It says, Just as one body, though... Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up, is not made up of one part, 
but of many. Paul here is saying that just even though we just are, there is one body, we are all part of this body, okay? And so we are all interconnected. There is a unity amongst us. And so what I do, eating junk food, affects not just me, but it affects the whole body, right? How many of us have stubbed our toe and we know that even though it's just affecting that, that little toe, our entire body is reacting, right? Or you get a paper cut, right? And it's the same thing. It's, it, we are all interconnected. And what we've been looking at in this series is how our choices to love one another bring healthy and flourishing relationships. And it's not just our call to love one another, but Jesus, as we've talked about, has called us to the next level, to love one another as he has loved us. Right? And how did Jesus love us? He laid his life down. Right before he gave this command in the, the Gospel of John, he had eaten dinner with his disciples, and then he'd stripped off his clothes, put a towel around his waist, and knelt down to wash the feet of his disciples. Right? That is how we are called to love one another. And so we have this law of Christ-like love, and we've been applying that to our communication back in week one. We've been applying the, the law of Christ-like love to our communities and to our sexualities, how we view and how we honor others. And today, my hope is to look at how we can apply this law of Christ-like love of preferring other people as better or above ourselves, how we can take this and apply it to our finances, how we can apply it to our money. Because the reality is that rich or poor, it's super easy for us to love money and to use people. But as Christ followers, we are called, right, to love people and use money, right? And because the love of money, it actually hurts our relationships because love of money is opposite. It is opposed to the law of Christ-like love. Love of money is greedy. It is selfish. It is preferring yourself and it is denying and turning away from the way of the cross, which is humility and self-sacrificing. And so we can do this with our money. And the Bible is full of warnings about money. We could, I could have picked a zillion, that's an exaggeration, hundreds of different scriptures to, to use to talk about this because from the beginning to the end, there are warnings about the love of money and the effect of money in people's hearts. Jesus said in Luke 12, he says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So even Jesus, 2,000 years ago, when people weren't longing for the new iPhone or the bigger house or the, the new car or whatever it is, right, we think, oh man, they, just, they were just happy with their little house and their sheep and their goats and whatever. So, so be on guard against all this stuff because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, right? And Jesus warns people about that because greed and the love of money and possessions is enticing and it gets its hooks in us. It just does, right? And we can easily go from using money and appreciating that raise that we got to trusting in that money, and, knowing, and thinking, oh, that's my hope. That is what is going to protect me. And that's what is going to give me identity and security. And so what we're going to look at today is, is uh, the letter from 1 Timothy 
to, uh, that was written by Paul to the Ephesian church. Okay? So this letter was written by Paul to Timothy. And Timothy had traveled with Paul for many, many years uh, through some of his uh, missionary journeys. And so he'd learned a lot from Paul. And eventually, Paul decided that it's Timothy that we are going to place in the church and to, to lead the church here in Ephesus. And so Timothy is there in Ephesus, and he's got a, a problem. There's a, there's a bunch of teachers in that church that are teaching a bunch of garbage, all right? And so Paul writes this letter not only to encourage Timothy in that, you know, you've got what it takes, because this is another sermon, but Timothy was actually very, very timid. He's, Paul says, be bold, step into your calling that was, that was given to you through the laying on of hands. Don't hold back, right? Because there were all these false teachers that were saying, you're too young, you don't know what you're talking about, this is ridiculous. And Paul says, no, you need to confront them. You are the man of the hour. And so he's encouraging him and he's teaching like, Timothy, you know, here's all this stuff that the false teachers, you have to stand up against this and this and this. Right? And one of those things, as we're going to see, is the love of money. So if you want to, if you have a paper Bible or if you have an app, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. And this says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Right, there's a lot there. We're going to jump back there in a minute. But let's finish Paul's thought in verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Right, and so Paul starts this section by saying, if anyone teaches otherwise, so he's talking about these false teachers, and they don't agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this, uh, this word, these two little Greek words that are translated as sound instruction, uh, which is a completely legitimate, it's a great translation, uh, but it can also be translated um, as the healthy words can also be translated as healthy words. And so Paul could have written, and I think Timothy may have read it something like, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the healthy words of our Lord Jesus and to godly teaching, they are conceited. Right? And, and one of the reasons that I think that he would have heard this idea of eating the healthy words of Jesus is because one chapter before this, in chapter 4, Paul is encouraging Timothy to be nourished on the gospel, to be nourished on the words of Jesus. And so there's almost this kind of like nourishment or this food theme that is working its way through the, the book or the letter of 1 Timothy. 
So he says, watch out for anyone who's not eating these healthy words of Jesus. And the healthy words of Jesus would include things like the, all the things that Paul taught in the, this letter, but the, you know, the death and the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, not worldly possessions, not anything else, is our hope of eternal life. Right? That the, the, the healthy words of, of Jesus would, in, would have included, though Paul never uses this language, the, the law of Christ-like love, that we are to lay our lives down and prefer other people before ourselves. Right? These are the healthy words. And Paul's saying if somebody is ignoring these healthy words of Jesus, they are conceited and they understand nothing. Right? So these, they're conceited, they're, um, they're greedy, they're selfish, they're proud. They have abandoned the way of Jesus. They have abandoned the words of Jesus and they keep nourishing themselves on this garbage because look at what it says next. It says um, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies, right? In all this stuff of the old kingdom, he's talking about uh, unhealthy controversies and they result in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions. All this garbage that uh, brings destruction into communities. Right? And, but this is what I found really, really interesting is these two little words that are translated unhealthy interest okay, can also be translated as sickly cravings. Right? And so if in this, in this word picture, Paul is saying these false teachers have rejected the healthy words, the healthy teachings of Jesus, and they have embraced the sickly cravings of the old kingdom. Things that bring envy and strife. All these things that bring destruction and brokenness into this. It's really fine, Paul. I've, 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 I've given up on it. Thank you for your diligence, though. So, okay, so these false teachers are abandoning the healthy words of Jesus. They, are, they have this sickly craving for this junk food of the old kingdom that is bringing corruption and death and destruction into this new community that, uh, oh my goodness, that, um, that Paul is trying to create. Uh, these are, all right, here's an aside. These are pictures of Ephesus today. Uh, that is a beautiful thoroughfare that goes from the the port here on the bottom left up to that 25,000 seat theater. There's, some people think there were 300,000 people that lived there in Ephesus. And this is the place that this rich and wealthy cosmopolitan place is where Paul sent young Timothy to pastor. And with all the, the wealth that would have come in this trading port, you can see that, that money would have been a real easy for the, the people in Ephesus these and the other teachers to kind of fall into the, the trap of the love of money. Thoroughfare, beautiful buildings. Uh, there's another thoroughfare. All right. Oh, here we are. So they have a sickly craving for these controversies and quarrels. And I don't know about you. You guys might eat a lot better than me. But I find when I stop at McDonald's and I grab a quarter pounder or whatever it is, I want another quarter pounder. Like, I want another one. Like, somehow that, 
that kale salad with the, with the chicken breast just does not sound very good to me. I think I'm just going to swing over and get another quarter pounder because it's so good. And maybe a regular Coke instead of a Diet Coke, you know, just to keep it healthy. Uh, you know, and so, and so there's this sickly craving that there's a, it snowballs. There's a momentum as we begin to run after these broken and corrupt ways of thinking like the false teachers were doing. They just start having a craving for those things. And they're continuing to funnel this old kingdom gar- garbage into this new community. But I have had seasons where I have broken off my addiction to, to sugar and trans fats, right? And for a while, you just kind of feel very, very bad. <laughs> very, uh, there's this withdrawal. I, I, it's terrible. And, but once you get through those withdrawals, the sugar withdrawals, and you begin eating good food, you actually start desiring eating good food, right? And, and, and it's, it's, it snowballs in a, a positive direction. Right? And so Paul is saying, look at what these people, these false teachers, are running after. Right? Not only are they not eating a healthy diet of Jesus' words, but they are, have this sickly craving for this old kingdom garbage, and they have been so duped, they have been so blinded, that they actually think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Okay, so they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. They, they are using their position of leadership in the church to, to you know, receive something that they are ultimately putting their trust in that is above and beyond Jesus. They're making an idol out of these finances. And so they say godliness is a means to our financial gain. But Paul comes against that hypothesis very quickly. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It puts financial gain, you know, to, to shame. Like this, it, maybe it will include some blessing of your finances, but it's, it's what we find in contentment in the presence of God where we find great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So Paul has heard this teaching of the false teachers that godliness equals financial gain. But Paul says what? Godliness plus contentment is great gain. And this is incredibly important for all of us who may be tempted to fall into the, the trap of the love of money to embrace contentment in our situation, regardless of what that might look like. And Paul knew what he was talking about. And Timothy, when Paul said this, maybe as he traveled around the the world, the known world with Paul, teaching in various cities, maybe he heard Paul teach something like Paul eventually wrote to the Philippian church, where he said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so Paul teaches that he has had seasons of his life where he was 
you know, abundantly provided for. Everything was going great. There's been moments when he's been shipwrecked, right? When he's had nothing. There's been moments where he was stoned and, and left for dead, right? And in all those times, whether he was well-fed or hungry, he learned to be content in Jesus, to be content in the presence of God. And as we can see through, through this, that Paul's contentment was, was never in the external situation. Right? It was never in what was going on around him. He trusted in the living God. And he did not put his hope in what he could gain from this world. Because he knew that in the, the blink of an eye, it could all be gone and he would be face to face with his God, with Jesus. Right? And so he learned to be content. He put his trust in God. He found his peace in God. And these false teachers, they may have said some of the right words, they may have used some of the right scripture passages, and maybe looked good from the the outside, but their trust wasn't in God. And that would be evident enough to Paul and to Timothy as they looked at their lives. Because as they looked at the the lives of these false teachers, look at the kinds of things that it's sowing into the community. Envy, strife, brokenness, sin, corruption, division. Like you can judge a tree by its fruit. And these false teachers had bad fruit. And so Paul continues in verse 9. He says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So when when money is removed from the law of Christ-like love, it becomes a snare. A snare that leads to ruin and destruction. And what Paul is addressing here is that love of money is one of these sickly cravings that pulls us away from the healthy words, the healthy example of Jesus. And the the love of money, what it says, plunges people into ruin and destruction. And he's not just saying it plunges that person with a love of money into ruin and destruction. It's a community of people. I just think that's so sobering when we realize that my sin, whether it be love of money or sexual sin or, uh, you know, whatever, however sin, you know, reveals itself in our own lives, we cannot say that that is isolated to ourselves. When I sin, it affects each and every one of you because we are in unity with one another. And it makes it a lot, well, it should make it a lot harder. And it makes sin a lot more selfish when we realize that and we continue to do it. Because we are passionate about this community that, that God is building throughout the world. Because in reality, our sin affects the, the global church but it's, it, in our lives, it affects this community. And as we create a community that is trying to run after God together, 
to live this flourishing and abundant life that is available for all of us. I don't want to be the weak link in that chain. The love of money plunges people into ruin and destruction. Because love of money is selfish. It is conceited. It is the opposite of the the law of of Christ-like love. When we put our trust and our hope in in money, we begin to evaluate all situations and how it is going to affect the bottom line. Like we maybe see, uh, you know, uh, a homeless man on on the side, on the street corner, all over the place in Portage. And you can think like, oh man, I could bless that guy, give him five bucks, but I was just on my way to get a Big Mac. That is too often the case. Ouch. Uh, you know, but you know, we, we start judging people and evaluating everything about that bottom line because we, it's our pocketbook. It's how much we have in the bank where we put our trust and our hope, not in the living God who has called us to love others as more important than ourselves. And again, I'm beating a dead horse here, but we cannot assume that our own greed or selfishness does not affect the rest of our lives, right? We can't say, well, that's just this isolated, look how righteous I am in all these other areas of my life. It's just this one area that I'm trying to to protect myself a little bit. But just as a little bit of leaven will work through an entire lump of dough, right, this little bit of greed and selfishness will begin to work through and permeate our entire lives. And so Paul ends here, and we're going to end here, saying that those that are eager for money have often wandered from the faith, right? And I will let you decide what, what what that ultimately means. How far can you wander from the faith? And they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Right? They have destroyed their own lives. They have set something else as the, as, the, as the king of their life, as the idol that sits on the throne of their world. They're no longer, and maybe never were, bowing down to Jesus, but using him to get to something else. In this case, get to financial gain. And so don't think that you are the exception to this rule, that, that you aren't going to get distracted, that you aren't going to pierce yourself with many griefs. Because the reality is, if money is our goal, then ruin and destruction are waiting for us. It's the hard truth. And so, how do we try to live out this law of Christ-like love with our money? How do we do it? How do we keep computers on? Nobody knows. It's a, it's a mystery of the universe. Uh, so one thing that you can do is practice generosity. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Right? Uh, we can, t- I, you know, encourage people yeah, that are struggling with this, take $10 out of your checking account or whatever, carry it around, and look for somebody who can't pay you back or who just is never going to pay you back. <laughs> right? And, 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 try, and, and give that $10 away. Right? And, and just look at what does that do in your heart and your mind as you're giving up this $10 that maybe it was going to go to lunch or a, a coffee. Or uh, for $10, you can get three Star Wars Destiny booster packs, which is a fantastic card game from Fanfare up on Kilgore Road. But what happens if you give this money away that you were planning or could use for something else? What does that reveal in your heart? 
That'll be a real good clue to does the love of money have its hooks in you. I encourage you to practice tithing. Tithing technically means giving 10% of your income to God as, a, as, a, as an offering. Right? And this is a, a, a practice that we can do that puts into action this, these words right, that say, God, I trust you. God, I am for you. Lord, I love you. You are the king of my life. But when we actually start handing over our money to God, like that is when it starts to get real. Um, about a year ago, I don't know, a year-ish ago, I forgot to tithe for like three weeks in a row. And so I, had, so I wrote that third tithe check, and that felt like a good chunk of money. And as I was writing that down, I kept going, oh, you know what I could do with this? Like, oh, man, I started kind of daydreaming, and I'm like, oh, is this, do I have to give, you know? And, like, uh, and I realized, oh, wait a minute. Love of money still has its hooks in me. And so I wrote that check out, added a little bit for good measure, and say, God, I love you. I don't want anything to do with this garbage that could drag me away from you. Lord, I say I trust you, and I'm going to show that I trust you by giving my tithes and my offering. And maybe if you don't tithe, 10% can be a big step. Like, that can be hard. But I encourage you to start somewhere, to give proportionally. Just say, I'm going to give $10 a week to, to the church, and I'm just going to trust God with my finances. Look for ways to, to increase that over time. Maybe you can get up to that tithe. But I just encourage you, find a way to consistently give of your finances to the Lord and just learn to trust him. And this is the one thing that the Bible says, God says, test me in this. Test me in your finances, and you will see that I'm faithful. Um, so encourage you, do that. The second thing we can do, besides practicing generosity, is we can ask the Lord to show us where money has usurped God as our highest hope in the thing that we put our trust in. Right? And we do this just by getting quiet before the Lord during your devotional time. Just get a journal out. That's what I do. And just go, you know, God, is there any way, is there any place that money has, has, uh, has usurped you as my hope and my trust? And just listen to, to what he says. Listen to that still, small voice. And if there is something, just repent. So, Father, I, rep- I repent for trusting money more than I trust you. Will you give me eyes to see that you are faithful and will you help me to take the steps necessary to trust you with my finances? Okay? So there you go. Practice generosity and ask the Lord to show you where your heart might not be completely pure and ask him to forgive you and to show you how to appropriately respond. All right, well, that is that. So let's just close our eyes. We're going to close in prayer. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the the blessing that finances can be in our lives. Lord, we know that we need money. Lord, that you've not called us to to live in, in poverty or to be destitute. Lord, but you've asked us not to put our trust in riches. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us just to break free from that stronghold of love of money. Lord, set us free to to live for you first and foremost. And, Lord, we trust you with the rest. Lord, I, I thank you for your unfailing love, and we give you glory. In your name we pray. Amen.